Hello and welcome to Across the States, the premier state and local policy podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hamberlin with the American City County Exchange. I'm joined today by our Associate Director of the Tax and Fiscal Policy Task Force, Skip Estes. Hey, Skip, how are you? Thanks for having me, Hunter. I'm excited to talk to you today about some state tax and fiscal issues. Yeah, specifically, Skip, I wanted to talk to you about uh, good states and bad states or good cities and bad cities, or however we want to phrase that. So I want to start off, you know, with my first question. So are booming cities like Austin, Nashville, and Scottsdale just reaping the benefits of sound state fiscal policy in Texas, Tennessee, and Arizona? Or is that just part of the story? Well, I think that that's mostly the case. So I've actually uh, looked at the list of fastest growing cities among a variety of different economic indicators like job growth, uh, new employment, wage growth, new residents, and a variety of different factors. According to Wallet Hub, they're the ones who put up the study. And the top five fastest growing cities are Henderson, Nevada, Seattle, Washington, Atlanta, Georgia, Miami, Florida, and Denver, Colorado. Now, looking at that list of five states, the thing that sticks out to me the most is that uh, three of them have no state income tax. So to your point, there actually is a story here about state policy affecting how fast cities grow. Now, the other thing that I do want to bring up is that each of these states, with the exception of Denver, Colorado, also are not allowed to have local income taxes. So to your point, obviously, you know, state income or state tax policy has an effect in the sense that, you know, Nevada, Washington, and Florida do not have income taxes. In Colorado's case, they have the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which is currently one of the best protections that taxpayers have at their disposal to protect themselves from a perpetually growing government, which also keeps taxes relatively low in Colorado. And it's also worth mentioning that taxes are low in Georgia at the state level. But one thing that's also true is that because of certain state policy as well, but it plays into local politics, is that these states, again, with the exception of Colorado, are actually not allowed to have local income taxes according to state policy. So would that mean that, like, you know, maybe the city of Denver, like, is not reaping the benefits of sound state fiscal policy like, you know, other states, Tennessee and Arizona are? Or is that something else I'm picking up on? Well, what I think it shows is that these states that have no income taxes, that's a conscious policy decision that they've made. They want no income tax to be a substantial aspect to their growing economy. No income taxes are proven to be one of the biggest indicators of how fast an area is growing. We have the famous nine versus nine comparison in our Rich States, Poor States report, where we outlined the nine no income tax states versus the nine highest income tax states on three economic indicators, job growth, total state population growth, and wage growth as well. And what they found is that the states that have no income tax have higher in migration, they have higher job growth, and they have higher personal income growth than the states with the highest income taxes. So these states have made no income tax as a core aspect to their tax and fiscal policy. And when they're crafting this policy environment for their state, they understand that they can't have their largest cities enacting local income taxes because that undermines the growth perspective for the state. So by restricting the ability of localities to levy their own taxes, what these states have done is actually exercise greater control over the economic projection of their own state. So it makes sense from a fiscal policy perspective to have these strong statements on tax policy that we're not going to have income taxes in Washington or Nevada or Florida. And that carries over to the local government level too. 
So Skip, I actually think you answered my second question here. I think I can deduce what your answer is going to be, but what is the explanation for cities like Chicago, New York City, and LA? Is the office for them? And are they trending down because of raising taxes and essentially expanding government? So I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. You know, I've outlined the fastest growing cities in America, which are in states like Nevada, Washington, Florida, Colorado. Obviously, the converse of that is that you're going to have states that are not growing, states that are actually either growing very slowly or shrinking in terms of their economic wealth and their share of the U.S. population. And two cities that I do want to bring up because they are very relevant for the conversation that we're having in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, New York and San Francisco are both allowed to collect local income taxes. New York City has a top income tax rate of 3.88%, which combined with the state rates leaves a top rate for New York City income earners of 12.7%. Now combine that with the federal rate, and that becomes a top rate of nearly 50% on wealthy income earners. A lot of times, you know, these wealthy income earners, contrary to a lot of the statements that we hear from more progressive politicians, these wealthy income earners are not just the rich. They represent job creators, they represent investors, they represent people who contribute to a state economy that set it on a high growth projection for the future. And by taxing these individuals such a high amount, what you actually find is that these wealthy individuals end up leaving for other states. So some famous examples, the investor is David Tepper. David Tepper left New, York, uh, New Jersey for Florida. Carl Icahn also left uh, New York City for Florida. And Elon Musk just recently has moved much of his operations from California to Texas. So these high wealth individuals that states are trying to target with their tax code are actually very mobile. What you find is that these individuals are actually leaving these high tax locales for lower tax states like Florida and Texas. And there's no way you're going to get around that unless you want to do something as heinous as restricting the movement of peoples between states. Now, in San Francisco's case, San Francisco also collects a 1.5% payroll tax on top of their state rate. Their top rate becomes 13.3%, which combined with the federal rate, again, has a top rate of more than 50% for California high income earners. So again, you know, these cities are allowed to collect a local income tax by virtue of state government. But what you're finding is that these localities jump on the opportunity to collect income taxes. And as a result, they actually harm the overall prosperity of their state and not just their city. Yeah, because it sounds like their taxes are intending to like, you know, target individuals like Elon Musk or other billionaires, but really like it's targeting people that just make a lot of money and that aren't just billionaires and millionaires. Because if Elon Musk can just go and get up and move from California to Texas, then they're not worried about Elon Musk anymore. They're worried about the people that are still living in California. And that may be, you know, a family that may not be able to move, but still makes a decent amount of money to live in California. Yeah, exactly. You know, again, to your point, a lot of these very high income individuals are very mobile with uh, their wealth. But to your point, you know, just because you have a high tax bracket on wealthy earners oftentimes translates to relatively high tax brackets for other earners who might not be so mobile. So while they might say that their tax code is targeting the wealthy, what you find is that these wealthy earners find ways around those high tax rates. Meanwhile, people that are middle to upper middle income earners actually end up being hit by those high tax rates and you end up harming the middle class as a result. Now, I also want to bring up that, you know, these local option sales taxes are a big problem when you're talking about city uh, economic growth. And that carries, that's actually a growing trend in state governments, that states with restrictions on 
how high their tax rates can be. So for instance, Washington, according to their state constitution, is not allowed to have a tax on income. Virginia, although it currently has democratic control, uh, a democratic trifecta, has significant Republican minorities in both the House of Delegates and the state Senate. So it's likely that if Virginia progressives wanted to have a very high graduated income tax rate in Virginia, it'd be very difficult to pass that even though you do have your majority because of the strong minority of conservative lawmakers. So what these progressive activists in these two states have done is uh, pushing for local option sales taxes. So again, giving localities the authority to levy their own sales tax rates. Virginia, uh, just last year, actually gave localities the ability to levy their own supplemental meals tax rates and tax rates on other goods and services. Washington state has a handful of bills going through the legislature right now to give more local taxing authority to localities. And Texas, although it's considered by many to be a very deep red state, has pockets of very strong progressive liberal politics in their cities of San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, Austin. And these progressive activists in these cities actually want to repeal or actually want to enact an income tax statewide in Texas. So because of the growing energy behind that, there was actually a ballot referendum put on the Texas election ballot in uh, 2019 that would propose banning any tax on income in the state constitution. And what Texas voters it ended up happening is Texas voters overwhelmingly approved that ban on income taxation to put it in their state constitution. Over 74% of Texas voters voted yes on the ballot issue. So now Texas taxpayers are better protected than they've ever been against an income tax because it's actually banned in their state constitution. So, you know, in summation, a lot of states to get around certain aspects of their state politics or their state constitutions, progressive activists that want high tax rates find other ways to get around that. And one of the most useful tools at their disposal is to allow localities to levy their own sales tax rates. And we're seeing voters in Texas, for instance, rejecting that notion and supporting the idea that income taxes are bad for taxpayers and they're bad for growth. Yikes. So yeah, it sounds like localities being in charge of uh, how they can tax their uh, constituents and their communities isn't really, you know, a good thing for anybody. Exactly. You know, and let's let's bring in uh, the coronavirus to this discussion because it is the overarching theme to this year's political discussions. If you talk to uh, progressive activists or more or more left leaning policy analysts, what they'll tell you is that high tax rates in these cities don't matter because people there are so wealthy that they don't actually respond to the tax rates and that they're that and that they're living in these cities for other reasons. Well, that orthodoxy is actually been undermined significantly by the COVID pandemic. So let's take a look at the cities that have lost the most residents over the past year since March. Uh, New York City, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. top the list of the cities who have lost the most residents over the past year. Now let's take a look at the uh, cities that have gained the most. There's a handful of Texas localities, most uh, importantly, Frisco, Texas, which had the largest growth of any Texas locality over the past year. Meridian, Idaho, although it does have an income tax, Idaho's income tax is actually very low, and Idaho overall is one of the most low-tax states in the country. They have a very competitive tax code. A handful of Florida localities were in the top localities to gain residents over the past year. And one example, which might seem like it it's a, you know, sticks out, it actually makes sense when you think about it. East Hampton, New York, was one of the fastest-growing localities in the past year. And you might consider, well, New York's tax rate is so high. Why is it the case that East Hampton is growing? Well, when you think about the fact that New York's high income tax rate 
a significant portion of that actually comes from New York's income tax. And East Hampton is growing so quickly because it's actually very close to New York City. So what you're seeing with East Hampton's growth is people who live in New York City, because of the COVID pandemic, they realize that they don't have to live, they don't have to work in the city because everyone's working from home. So what they decide to do is take them and their tax dollars to East Hampton, New York instead, because they uh, are able to pay less in taxes in that locality. It sounds like COVID is having a really detrimental effect on these cities, like you know many other aspects of our lives in the past year, especially in 2020. But I'm curious to know if that, you know, if this could all be blamed on COVID. I mean, some of the, like New York and Washington D.C., of course, these are transient cities. They have a high transient population. Can someone who wanted to poke the bear play contrarian? Could he say, "Oh, people are just leaving these cities not for co- for you know unrelated reasons to COVID or anything"? Is that something that's plausible or that could that actually makes sense? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's perfectly plausible. You know, I think that there already was a trickle of people leaving these states. A delusion in some states versus others. For instance, you know, New York has lost well over one million people in the past decade alone. So obviously, there's a trickle to a flow of residents leaving these high tax areas for lower tax states and localities. But the COVID pandemic turned that trickle or flow into a gush. So I actually came across some uh, rental vacancy figures that I wanted to bring up. Rental vacancy figures are of the properties up for rent in the city, which portion of them are currently unoccupied by tenants. Uh, And it generally floats around, you know, somewhere between three to five percent any given year. But because of the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of people are actually leaving cities and they're leaving their leases behind and going other places. You know, I already talked about the fastest growing cities in America over the past year. But these increase in rental vacancy figures are very interesting because they go to show people who have left the cities and have no intention of coming back. They're very transient people, as you were saying. San Francisco had a 59% increase in rental vacancy since March of 2020. New York City had a rental vacancy increase of 122% in 2020 alone. Boston, Massachusetts had a rental vacancy increase of 502% Jesus. in 2020. So what you're seeing is that there already was a trend of taxpayers and job creators leaving these high-tax cities and these high-tax states for lower-tax places. But the COVID pandemic has completely upended the traditional dominance of coastal cities when it comes to the seats of economic growth and economic powerhouse. And what you're seeing is that that shift is happening where large coastal cities, the importance of them is actually shifting to places like Florida, Texas, Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina. So that traditional orthodoxy I was talking about of progressive activists and left-wing policy analysts saying that it doesn't matter that taxes are so high because these people are going to pay it anyways, that orthodoxy is being completely turned on its head by the increased behavior of taxpayers towards lower tax areas combined with the coronavirus pandemic. First off, Skip, from a flow to a gush, love the wordplay. Just wanted to let you know that. And, you know, you've kind of, this next question I'm about to ask you, you've kind of already answered, but I'm just going to ask it anyway, your gauntlet of knowledge. Will unsound state fiscal policies have a lasting impact on these cities? And how will this affect rural towns and counties? Now, you said something about or you spoke a bunch about uh, rent and, you know, all the properties in these cities and how some are, you know, some some past residents are not going to be returning. Now, what's that going to look like long term for cities and how is this going to affect rural towns and counties separate from cities? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we're already seeing the impact of increased vacancy have an impact on these cities' economies. So, you know, both me and you live in the D.C. metropolitan area. Looking at rental prices from March of 2020 compared to December of 2020, you're seeing a decrease in prices, sometimes upwards of 25%. So we're seeing the uh, price of living in these areas decline. And what that says is that there is less demand for those uh, services or for those goods because there's fewer people there. And uh, there's less demand, uh, both in an economy-wide sense because of economic you know, malaise because of the coronavirus pandemic. People aren't spending as much. In fact, we saw uh, the highest savings rates, uh, highest individual savings rates in many years over the coronavirus pandemic. And I, I think in terms of long-term effects that this coronavirus pandemic is having, I think it's completely upended the traditional workplace dynamic. You know, people are working from home more often than, than ever. So uh, if that becomes a long-term aspect, you know, if working from home becomes the, a very normal way that people conduct business in the aftermath of this pandemic, what you might see is people opt to stay in Florida or Texas or where they, wherever they've moved to instead of moving back to these cities. They realize that they save money on taxes, it's cheaper places to live, they can live in warmer climates, and they don't have to live in these uh, very expensive, high-tax cities anymore. They don't have to put up with it, frankly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, why would I live in Washington, D.C. when I could, you know, live in Memphis, Tennessee or Jackson, Mississippi, where the cost of living is so much cheaper, but I can still get just as much work done there. Right. Exactly. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how states can best counter these uh, growing trends of taxpayers becoming more mobile over time and leaving high tax areas for low tax places. And, you know, states really have to work on getting their own houses in order. States like New York and Illinois and uh, California have a huge public finance crisis on their hands with unfunded pension liabilities, uh, outstanding bonded debt, and their tax rates are already so high, there's just no way that they can tax themselves out of these problems. So they've really got to look at cutting spending. And then since we were on the topic about localities, these states also have to, uh, these state legislators really need to uh, get more control over the economic environment statewide. You know, they are a state legislature. They need to be able to stand up to localities who keep raising tax rates, because if these localities keep raising tax rates without any sort of oversight from the state, what you'll see is these localities actually depressing economic growth in their state because of how high their taxes are, that they actually impact state uh, economic growth generally because of how high their tax rates are. So state legislators need to take a look at their fiscal books. They need to get their... Uh, public spending under control, but they also need to take a look at what authority localities have when it comes to taxation, because local taxes, as we just discussed, can really create a harmful, what we call a tax pyramiding effect, where you stack rates on top of one another, which leads to a very high cumulative tax rate. So if state legislators are looking to increase their, their state economic competitiveness coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, those are the places where I'd be first to look. It's good. We talked a lot about state legislators. Now, what type of policy recommendations do you have for city and county officials struggling to keep their cities above water? Well, you know, I would be uh, cautious whenever any sort of plan on increased spending comes out, because there's a lot of documented evidence out there that goes to show that just because you spend more on a program doesn't necessarily mean you serve more people or for quality. That states, you know, should take a hard look at how they do programs. And or, I guess since we're on the topic of cities, cities should take a look at how they do programs 
audit them for efficiency and take a look to see how they can make their outcomes more significant for their taxpayers to generate a greater return for taxpayer investment. Because that's really the way that you should be thinking about this. But I also would say, you know, cities have to first, you know, get their programs under control, make them more efficient. But they also have to uh, really consider what is the job of a local government. A local government is supposed to fund education, disaster relief, first responders, crime prevention, things like that. But what you're seeing in a lot of these high spending cities is that they are completely getting out of the purview. They have gone over and beyond the traditional role of local governments and taxpayers are paying for that. Great. Well, hey, Skip, that's all the time that we have today. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on here. Just so our listeners are aware, ACE is the premier public policy organization for city and county officials across the U.S. That's the American City County Exchange. And every time that I'll be talking to Skip, he'll be talking about a tax and fiscal issue as it pertains to city and our future episodes. So please join us next time. And Skip, again, thanks for coming out. Thank you so much for having me, Hunter. Looking forward to joining you again. If you are interested in your ideas being featured on Across the States, email us at acrossthestates at alec.org. Please rate us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on to help us grab more listeners like you. Thanks for listening. You'll hear us next time. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.